Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this discussion, I am joined by my sister Kay. We're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the TV show Taken. We're going to have spoilers for that. Maybe a few spoilers for a few other shows. Because I think this is going to lead us into a discussion on a number of things about kind of the current state of television beyond just this particular show. This was a 10-episode series on NBC. NBC. All right. And they said that it was based on the premise of the movie Taken. Now, the movie Taken was 2008, so nearly a decade ago. Liam Neeson, he had not been the first choice for the role. Interesting. Uh, I forget who it was that was going to be the first choice, but that person couldn't do it or didn't do it, whatever. And Liam Neeson apparently decided, well, you know, be a little more physically demanding role than he was typically getting at that point. And, you know, it's in Paris for about a month or, you know, whatever it was. It's like, yeah, why not? And it really opened up doors for him as an action hero. I can see that, yeah. He was great at it. Yeah, I had seen the first film. It was uh, a lot of fun, really well done and stuff. And very much the, you know, there are certain people in the world you just don't want to cross. Yes. So when they were going to do a TV series based on this, I'm like, okay, haven't seen the, the, the other two. Wouldn't mind seeing them. Just never got around to it. Well, let's start very simply. When you think of the character Liam Neeson played, what do you think? Father. Okay, yes. First and foremost, that comes to mind. Father, family man, and military. Very protective. Oh, incredibly protective and incredibly dangerous. Yes. But in a good way. Yes, yes. But he is a defender and, like you said, someone you don't want to cross. But again, the family aspect is important. Yeah. They... When they took it to TV, they uh, got a younger version of the character. Instead of the daughter, it's the younger sister mm-hmm. dies, and she actually dies versus yes. just getting taken. So for most of the 10 episodes, you're like, why is this called Taken? Well, in fact, I had a conversation with our parents at one point telling them we'd been watching this, and they're asking what's it about. And we had just watched an episode, and I'm like, well, it's called Taken, but nobody's really been taken. Well, unless you count the guy who, I guess he was taken in so much as someone took him long enough to strap a suicide bomb onto his chest and put him back out so they could frame him for a crime he wasn't going to commit. If I had to explain the show to somebody, and I, I did actually with Sam when we were talking after one episode... Uh, I would say, if you remember the unit. Yes. Squad of super soldiers, answerable only to the president sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much like that. What they've done is they've taken the movie premise of, uh, you know, ex-military guy, one of the, again, super soldier sort, mm-hmm. you know, um, your, your, your uh, quintessential Green Beret, Navy SEAL, cream of the crop kind of, you know, top elite uber- don't mess with type military. Well, the quote that Liam Neeson delivered so well, the line he had in the movie is, I have a very particular set of skills. And it's that very deadly, very ominous, I am your worst nightmare set of skills. Mm-hmm. And 
In this case, instead of being about just one guy with that set of skills, you now have a team of guys who all have those skills and they can all both think on their feet and allegedly work together. And I say allegedly because Brian is just learning to be part of a team. He's the new guy on there and he's the one that goes kind of, uh, I don't say AWOL, but a little off off script from them. He's used to being a one-man show. He's used to relying on himself. And he is willing to sacrifice himself for others. And the others are always thinking, if you're working properly as part of a team, you shouldn't have to sacrifice yourself. It's funny, though, because if you look at this show of Taken, compare it to The Unit, which was five, ten years ago? Probably closer to ten. Probably closer to around the time the movie you've taken. Yeah, and I say that because at least one of the actors has been on two TV shows since. Yeah. With the unit, you had the new guy joining the team, mm-hmm. much like we have here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's kind of the, the entry character, if you will, the star of the mm-hmm. show. And that's a frequent device used in writing. Oh, absolutely. A uh, new member joining the team, uh, particularly in comic books, all the time. It's a great way to give the audience an opening, and it's a great way to have a reason for things to be explained. Absolutely. It's as if you, the reader or the viewer, is joining the team at the same time. Yeah. They can show you the ropes. It makes sense. It's your entry point. Yeah. So it's a tried-and-true narrative technique because of that. Yeah. And there's some ways it's, it's more transparent than others, but it's not uncommon for whenever a new writer takes over the Justice League or the X-Men or the Avengers or the Titans or whatever team, a new character joins shortly thereafter, if not immediately at that point. Well, and frequently when shows have been on the air for several years, they bring someone new in because that'll be a point at which a show has had a rising or increasing audience size. And they think, okay, these new audience members want an introduction to know what are our standard techniques? What do we typically or do? Even, you know, it's it's it, it can allow a show to reinvent itself. Yeah. I thought when Ben Bowder joined uh, Stargate SG-1, it almost but not quite rebooted the show. I mean, it still had its continuity, mm-hmm. but he brought a very different energy to it. And I thought if the Sci-Fi Channel had been, frankly, in a better state at the time, they could have kept it going a good number of years. You know, one show that did that in a fascinating way was on TNT The Closer in their final season brought in a new character who was giving you a new perspective. She was an internal affairs officer giving you a new perspective on everything else that was going on and then the show appeared to be cancelled except really it came back the next season with all but one or two of the cast members only now that internal affairs officer was the new chief of that unit, and it mm-hmm. was called Major Crimes. Yeah. So it was billed as a brand new TV show, having a first season, but if you'd been watching The Closer, it just felt like another season with a whole new energy and dynamic, because this new chief had a new approach that came from having that internal affairs background. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it all comes down to, can you provide an entry ramp for the audience into the story? Mm-hmm. And in the first episode of Taken, they very much uh, set up Brian Mills' character, his sister, how she dies, um, how come she was killed by this bad guy, the relationship uh, the Mejia character, the bad guy, and Brian have, and, and how 
this could just be something that, that, that would go in perpetuity kind of a thing. You've wronged me, I'll wrong you, vice yes. versa kind of a thing. Well, they also set up this team being totally separate from Brian Mills. And you're seeing how this team operates. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating thing in terms of you can tell Brian is aware someone's watching him. Some government group is aware of him. And he seems at times to be aware someone's using him as bait. Yeah. And there's an aspect of the self-sacrificing, I'm going to get my revenge guy who says, I don't care if they're using me as bait as long as I get what I want. Well, he was he was using the group as much as the group was using him at that point. Yeah. But it, it gave that recruitment part of that first thing, that first episode, it gave the him as the entry ramp into the team, how it gets all set up and stuff. And over the course of, of 10 episodes, we get a number of little, I don't say mini adventures because they were full-blown episodic type things, but arcs for a couple of the characters. Well, we had a lot of interesting trust-building experiences. And I say that because I came out that first episode thinking the team really needs to earn his trust as much as he needs to earn their trust. Because they threw him out there as bait, perfectly willing for him to get strung up, beaten up, etc. This is the kind of series where I think they knew where they were starting from with the movie. They knew how they had to change it going in. But the show they started writing at the beginning and the show they were writing even 10 episodes in was fundamentally different, even though there was a clear evolution to it. I think as they were writing it, they understood the relationship Brian and the rest of the team had better and better. Yes, I think the character of Asha, I felt they had second thoughts about her. She was the roommate of the sister, Mm -hmm. previous roommate of the sister and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was one that when we were first introduced, it's like, okay, it fleshes out the sister Mm -hmm. character, gives her life beyond just Brian. Okay, that makes sense. But then she starts to have a relationship with Brian and it's like, should we trust her? Should we not? It's like she's almost seducing him or... or She was very clearly making a point of getting into Brian's life. and Infiltrating almost, it felt like. yes. And at times, that's it felt so much like that that it was hard to know, is she trying to keep alive her dead friend mm-hmm. in that respect emotionally, or is there some nefarious purpose? And I think they were doing that on purpose, but I think as they realized, wait, there's some good chemistry here. Yeah. And wait, tainting this isn't good, so let's give her a nasty neighbor instead. Well. I think it may have been the whole, the plan all the way along because she was who's taken at the end. So I think building the character in is kind of the surrogate sister, uh, girlfriend sort of a thing makes sense. I just think they didn't have a grasp as to how to play it quite right. And they overplayed her kind of infiltrating Brian's life to the point we don't trust her. By the time we start to warm up to her and stuff, it's like they've transitioned that into Mejia's mm-hmm. characters and stuff that become the neighbors, etc., that we clearly can't trust. And it's there were things where aspects of this show were really well done. Mm. It was a very intriguing show. Because we watched the first episode thinking we were curious. Mm. But mm-hmm. it was fun. So we kept watching and stuff. And next thing we know, it's like, wow, the season's over in 10 episodes. And we've pretty much stayed current. Well, and go ahead and fess up that the question you got sick of my asking was, but who got taken? 
again, this could have been called Unit 2.0. Right? I, Seriously, because again, the parallels between this and the yes. unit, again, new guy coming into the team, leader of the team's a, a, a black guy, and the uh, Gaius Charles, or who's the... Gaius Charles, who was on Grey's Anatomy for a while and did a good job there, but honestly... He only did a good job there compared to what he did here. He knocked it out of the park here. Yeah, he did a great job. But Dennis Haysbert was the yes. equivalent character in the unit. Okay, mm-hmm. and I think Gaius did a better job here, honestly. And I was, I, yeah. I enjoyed the unit quite a bit. Yeah, the unit played up the wives and the drama and all that stuff. They dump mm-hmm. all that, and we get it's Brian's yeah. external life. We've got two or three other guys on the unit, two of which didn't really get a whole lot of development. The one that got a little bit of development, we find out, has kids. But I, I, I kind of liked him the best because he was one of the actors from, from the, the unit. unit. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, Michael Irby. Yes. Who was also in Almost Human. He did a guest spot or two on, I forget if it was Rizzolian Isles or something. We've seen him elsewhere, yeah. He's done a couple of things. He's a good actor. Yeah. He did well, a great job here, even though he wasn't, frankly, given a ton to work with. I think his best episode was the one where he and I forget uh, the name of the other actor, but where it turned out uh, Brian Mills was flashing back to when they had trained him yes. for, okay, here's what happens if you do get captured and basically your goal is to survive until the team gets to you. Kind of a how not to get broken. Yeah, yeah. It's going to happen. Here's how you survive it sort of a thing. Yeah. Him and the uh the one of the other two guys. Yeah. Who was also on what was the show we watched a number of seasons ago that Gina Torres was in that dealt with the uh the the I don't say the police squad or whatever, but it was um I don't know which show you're thinking of. The actors, uh Jose Pablo. Yeah, Cantillo. if you look his stuff up and go back a little ways, there was a show the you're not thinking the finder, which he no, did not the an finder. episode of. He was a regular on some. He was also a regular on The Walking Dead. But there was another one that I saw thought was a, a kind of a legal police procedural sort of a thing. Before or after unit, he did two episodes of The River. You've now got me stumped. He had thirteen episodes of Walking Dead. Before that, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out my phone because now you've got me curious. Dueling tabloids. Tablets. Sorry. I can do this. Uh... Standoff. Standoff, that was the one I was thinking. 18 episodes of Standoff. That had Gina Torres, it had a couple other people that we've seen some other stuff. So, I mean, this was an actor that we had seen in a show that we'd watched regularly before, but not recently enough that, oh yeah, we know him. Mm-hmm. Quite the way like Michael Irby, but of course, Michael Irby was playing a se- not the same character, but the same sort of, literally the same sort of character. Yeah. So there's an aspect of the familiar with plot, structure the team structure the the storytelling structure well part of what intrigued me was in some respects you actually had two teams or units you had the stay in the office tech team you had the support crew and you had the field crew Mm -hmm. and the support crew kind of sort of took the place of the wives on the unit if you will yeah and it was well done but there were a couple of places here and there where like in this this finale we just watched you know, it's like, oh, they're going to need a medevac. Beat on it. Yeah. It's like, you couldn't have jumped right out. You saw this coming. Yeah. I saw it coming, but I was watching the whole action, so maybe you didn't. I don't know. But it's like, I would want somebody who jumped just a little bit faster on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nitpick. Nitpick. In a few of these uh, support crew, they had an episode for at least two of them. The, the girls. Mm-hmm. 
where it's they were handlers for other you know assets or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I felt that they tried to I won't say round out everybody, but at least treat them as real characters. Treat this as a world. There are things going on mm-hmm. um, without getting overboard and, and crazy blatant about it. Yeah. It's not like one of the guys was always coming in, be it on the field team or the, the uh, uh, support team, talking about his kids or his wife or just going ad nauseum about it or something. No, but one of the things I loved in that giving a sense of reality episode was going back to the uh, suicide bomber episode. Mm-hmm. When they went to talk to the family and try and get a read on, okay, what is the situation we're dealing with? And Brian Mills goes and he's there, and he wants to talk to the kid. The son, yeah. Yeah, and the the son won't talk to him. And it's basically a, I know you're kind, you're military, you're American, you kill our people, you're horrible. Mm-hmm. Runs from him, tries to get people at the community center to protect him and not let him see the cell phone, because obviously you're the enemy. And well, it was almost a reverse profiling kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the episode... They've rescued the father, and Brian Mills has done everything conceivable to help save the life oh, of yeah. this father. And at the very end of the episode, you're back to the father and the son playing ball in front of the apartment complex. And for a moment, it looks like they're just going to reassure us the family's reunited. Mm-hmm. But then Brian walks up, and okay, for a moment, it actually looks like maybe we're just going to see... I don't want to say him kind of stalking them to assure himself they're fine, but he's in the distance. But then the father calls him over, and the son looks a little shamefaced and looks like, okay, I know I did him wrong. Well, and the father's like, let me introduce you to my friend. Yes, yes. And Brian doesn't hold against the kid anything he said before. Because he knows just what an emotionally upsetting time it was of your dad was missing, etc. And shakes his hand and plays soccer with him. And it was very much just a a healing, we can try and get along kind yeah. of episode. You can either see people as you want to see them or see them... As individuals. As individuals or as they are sometimes. Yeah. And again, there were times where the writing had some of those really nice moments. It's in some cases to set them up, they almost had to go a little cliche. Mm-hmm. Oh, evil America, you know. Yes. Kind of, you know. Yeah. But I, I felt, by and large, uh, they they had the story they were telling, and they did a very good job executing on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, ten episodes, and it was the tenth one mm-hmm. where we get the he's on the phone with the guys who have captured the girlfriend, and you know, hey, nothing can stop me. I'm coming after you, sort of a thing. Yeah. A la the film. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I see not doing that in the first episode, but for 10 episodes. Yes. How is this based on Taken? Okay, it's the same character. It's early in his life, but it would be I kept like, waiting for someone to get Taken. It would be like doing a movie on, or, or a TV show on, oh geez, I'm trying. It would imagine be- if LA Law were a movie instead of a long-running TV show. Uh-huh. And you did a TV show where they get into law school. Like, wait a sec, this is too early. I was thinking uh, you do something based on uh, the Fast and the Furious and they don't have driver's licenses. Yes, it's driver's education for, for Dom and uh, and the crew. <laughs> yeah. You just did, did you you could do that, but it'd be a little odd. And when they were taking this from the movie into the show, 
you know, again, de-age the character, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, supporting cast, don't think that's needed, but we see this. You were, you and I were talking about this uh, well, earlier. Let's Let's start real simple, though. Part of what I liked about the movie was the outrageous strength, cunning, intelligence, determination of that solo. I'm, I, on the one hand, I want to say hero, but on the other hand, he didn't view himself as hero. Solo father. Well, he was in it alone. Mm-hmm. He had nobody to rely on and nobody he needed yeah. to rely on. Yeah. And no boundaries he felt contained by or they wouldn't cross. He would do anything to save his child oh yeah he was clearly a man on a mission yeah and we get aspects of that with with this version of the character but by having four other guys Mm -hmm. that are as capable potentially more in a few cases Mm -hmm. uh, having the support staff having Mm -hmm. the boss who's arranging the missions and all of this other stuff four other guys who are frustrated he's reckless they're constantly telling him you realize you nearly got me killed Mm mm-hmm but there was the one time he had saved one of the other guys just from yes. watching the video from the, the body cam, which kind of went away after that. Yeah. So yeah. there are a few things. It's like, okay, we need to set some stuff up, but well, afterwards, let's get rid of it. That was what happened when they kept him back as part of support staff before he was trusted to go into the field. Yeah, before he was cleared for the yeah. field stuff. He saved one of the other guys from halfway around the world. Yeah. Which means pretty good real-time video. Yeah. My point was he becomes less unique mm-hmm. by putting him into the ensemble. The ensemble aspect works, I think, for the show. But by having had a solo character turn into a team and having him being our, our entry ramp into the team, and not just our he's the new guy on the team, we follow him home. We yes. don't follow the other guys home. Yeah. You know, if it was one where he's the new guy on the team, but we quickly get to know all of the other ones and follow one of the other ones home that week and another one the next week, kind of. Yeah. A, um, which I think would be a fun way to do a show where you've got four co-leads and you just kind of rotate around as to who's the star that week. Well, one of the things that I had mentioned to you when we were talking about, you know, is this a show we want to talk about or not, mm-hmm. was that it feels like several of the shows that when I heard, this is going to be a show. Oh, wow, that sounds great. It'll be one of those shows with a solo hero, and then the show comes out, and it's a team or an ensemble show. It's funny because I think this has the exact opposite problem that the Mission Impossible movies had. Yes. Because Mission Impossible on TV was a team, ensemble, let's go get the job done. Yes. You turn it into a vehicle for Tom Cruise, sure, he's got a few people he works with, but it's a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Ethan Hunt is the guy. Yes. And a few people he works with. You know, whereas... And I don't think that's the difference between television and movie, per se. No. No, but that's the difference between doing a ensemble show where you're... I don't want to say... Imagine if when Abrams redid Star Trek on the big screen, it was Kirk, it was Chris Pine, and yeah, there were some other guys on the ship. When one of the things that they're doing now in order to keep television shows within a reasonable budget is when they work out the contracts on how much to pay an actor, mm-hmm. they'll say it used to be X amount for the episode. Now, when the actors go in for negotiations, they can say X amount that sounds really large for an episode or I'll take 
a slightly smaller amount per episode if you guarantee me one filming day off for every episode or a lesser amount for every episode if you guarantee me two filming days off for every episode. Well, and that was one thing I noticed on this show is everybody was pretty much in every episode. Maybe not front and center, Mm -hmm. but compared to a few other shows we're watching where you just don't see one or two characters that uh, every week. Mm -hmm. Now, we used to notice like uh, the TV show Numbers. Mm -hmm. Their writers seemed to be able to write a certain number of characters. No pun intended. Yeah. It was one of those where it's a cop procedural. The twist on that one for anyone who hasn't seen it, and I thought it was a fun show. It was great. Is the FBI agent we're really following. His younger brother is a mathematician. Mm Mm-hmm. And he pulls him in on one thing just to solve something. And from then on, every case this guy has, there is a mathematical slant to it to make it doable. Yeah. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't always work. Well, I liked the one where they were doing the mathematical equation that involved how water comes out of a rainbird sprinkler. Yeah. And they would do some great graphic overlays. This is how it plays out. Here's... How you can use that sort of a, a, a mindset for where somebody's going to go rob a bank or whatever. Yeah. So you had kind of, again, the two two camp kind of a, a ensemble, the FBI group and then the mathematician group. Mm-hmm. But what ha- would happen on that show, particularly later in the run, is you had the th- three or four uh, FBI agents. Mm-hmm. And it would get to the point, one of them, and it would rotate who, but never the brother. Yeah. Okay? One of the others would be off on training, off doing something else, you know, at a case, uh, uh, jury case, or you know, whatever. And they would have a fill-in. Yeah. Somebody they- from the LAPD, somebody from whatever. DEA, yeah. DEA, another one, who invariably would be saying the exact same sort of things the other person would have said. Yeah, yeah. And in some cases, it was fun because it allowed them to do a few things they couldn't. Yeah. Like explain why somebody after four or five years of working with a mathematician is constantly surprised everything can be solved by math. Yes. There um, is that. Well, and Judd Hirsch was the father. Yeah, it, it's one I really recommend because yeah. uh, excellent cast, a lot of fun stuff. And again, the way they would toss math into the stuff, it was quasi-educational. Um, but again, it's one of those where... I think actually it would be fair to say that that show is divided into three camps. It it's got the mathematicians, it's got the FBI, and it's got the apps, the family, the two brothers yeah. and the dad. Yeah, absolutely. And then gradually, both the mathematicians uh, and the FBI sort of got sucked into the apps family, and that was great fun to watch. Well, and the the two brothers, it was they were the core of the show. Yeah. Because we spent enough time at the the campus with the mathematicians and stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's one where when you're constructing a television show or a comic book series or whatever, a book series, that if you want it to go for the long haul, you need to have certain hooks in there. Yeah. And with Taken, they had the hooks of the, the, the field agents and the support crew, but we never really got to the point where we followed one of these other guys having brought in a case or something like that yet. Ten episodes. With a major arc going through it. Mm-hmm. Once they finish that up, if they get another season and stuff, who knows? Yeah. But it comes down to, with television, I do think since you've got more time, it makes sense to have more characters to, to spread the load, if you will. Even the weight in, in terms of the story uh, uh, they've got to carry. And it gives you the ability to 
toss in the you know, yeah i kind of know how to fly how to how to you know some esoteric skill that you just kind of need i guess what's getting me is shows like arrow flash macgyver those were all shows i thought would be dominated by a solo hero and really they've turned into team shows that really revolve around it feels like a single location all the characters may have secondary locations, but they're with basically the same characters. Well, I would say with Flash, obviously it's centering around Star Labs. Mm -hmm. Very much an ensemble thing. In past seasons, they would spend more time at the police department than they're doing now. But even still, it was the same basic characters over at the police department. True, true. And that's what's... Mac MacGyver is the one that was another one that... If you go back to the old series, it was Richard Dean Anderson. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Dana Elclair who played Pete Thornton. Mm -hmm. They were the only two regulars, and Pete Thornton wasn't in every episode. Yeah. And then you would get recurrings or ones that would be maybe regular for a season. Yeah. So then to get it to where we've got five people in every episode of the current MacGyver, and it's a spy show. Yeah. Again, we talked about that when we reviewed that episode or that that series. Yeah. But it's it's a trend we're definitely noticing mm -hmm. because I think again I think with television it it lends itself to that way mm -hmm. because you're 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 putting so much material out there that by having multiple characters you're not working one guy to death. Very true. Very true. Because if you go back to the '90s Flash show, uh, you had John Wesley Shipp as the Flash, but you had the Tina McGee character, you had Julio, you had a couple of cops, a few things like that. So even though it was an it wasn't a team in quite the same way, it was still an ensemble. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it gives you somebody to cut away to. Yeah. Whereas anytime you try to do a show, a TV show with just the guy, imagine if Taken was like the movie and it was just Brian Mills. Mm -hmm. You know, he, this the guy would be working you know nonstop just to get the footage they need to go do this, or we'd spend a little bit more time with the villains just because well you got to go somewhere. Yeah. So I think it can work, but it becomes a much harder writing exercise to make something that's filmable, that's that's schedulable in the time allotted. And if you get to the point where you need somebody who just happens to have, I mean, over the course of many seasons, the, the story needs you're going to have. Mm -hmm. Somebody who can cook, somebody who can do this, somebody who knows that, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes it's like, this guy can do everything. Yes. And that works for like a MacGyver character or the Pretender or a few others that their their shtick is being able to do everything. Yeah. With a character like Brian Mills here on Taken, it's a matter of, yep, he's the cream of the crop, you know, military commando sort of a thing. But sometimes you need a little bit more than that. You know, what languages can he speak? Can he fit in in this sort of a situation? What about that? Mm -hmm. You know, can he be in two places at once? No, that's why you need a team. Well... One of the things that I guess I would say felt kind of realistic for Taken, though, was they did have a pretty definitive break between this is my secret work for the government life and this is my private life. And I don't let the secrets from what I do for the government into the private life. I try to keep them as separate as possible. I loved the meal with Asha's parents. Yes, I thought that was good. But it was also one of those things that we didn't see a ton of Brian outside of the, the work stuff other than with Asha. Mm -hmm. I think there are a number of things they could do in this sort of, of ensemble to really change things up from how they're typically done. 
Imagine if they had had another member of the, the field team that got injured. Yeah. And shifts into the support role. You know, we did see someone else's private life a bit. Um, John, team leader, when we saw him with his brother. You're right. I take it back. I'd forgotten that. Was about that was one episode where we really focused on him. And ironically, it's because he had been injured. Yeah. And uh, we were seeing what he did in his downtime. Yeah. So, again, it's a show that I thought was, was better executed than a lot we've seen. Mm-hmm. I just wish it had a different name is what it comes down to. Uh, I think it lived up to the name, but it's not, uh, when we watched the two seasons of um, The Transporter. Mm-hmm. That was one. Again, Luke Benson mm-hmm. movies translate mm-hmm. to show. Mm-hmm. With The Transporter, and we haven't done episodes on this. It'd be fun to one for the, the, the movies and then mm-hmm. one for the each, maybe both season or each season. Followed by one for the revival movie that I haven't seen yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I'm not even sure if I've got it. I need to go check. Anyways, with the transporter, it's a guy who drives. He's got certain rules. Jason Statham, a movie. Um, and then when it went to TV, Chris Vance yes. uh, took over the role and owned it. Yes. And it was, again, the guy in a car. He transports things. He transports things. It was one that was a very smooth transition. Mm-hmm. He didn't look the least bit like Jason Statham, but he had the mannerisms. He was the same character mm-hmm. that if you were to say, yeah, the stuff of the movie happened to this guy, etc., totally believe it. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of the implication. Yeah. Whereas, again, with Taken, it's it's, it's a much younger version. So, if, actually, I think I did see the uh, reloaded uh, transporter one because hmm. it dealt with his father. Anyways, sorry, that just popped yeah. to mind. Um. With with Taken, it's it's like twenty years earlier for the character or whatever. Could this become the one who gets married, has the daughter that gets taken? Yeah, but I don't think so. Yeah, that's about where I'm at. And there's nothing wrong with this. I think it sort of lived up to it. Just it's good on its own merits. Yes, I like that statement. And I don't think, given what the show, the ten episodes were, that Taken was the right title for it. No, because I usually about 10 minutes into the episode, I was already asking, but who's been taken? That's not the action of the episode. That's not the, for lack of a better term, crime of the episode or investigation of the episode. Even if you get past that, which I think is hard to do. In the movie, his daughter was taken. He gets the daughter back. Yes. In the pilot episode of the show, the the, the sister gets shot and dies. Yeah. And it's like, well... That sort of sucks. Yeah. So it's, he starts by failing. Yeah. And the way they sell how all of that happens, it works, it motivates the entire season. If I were going to try and sum up the premise of the movie, I think it would be he rescues his daughter. He uses this particular set of skills, but he rescues his daughter. I think both statements are important. If I were going to sum up then, the premise of that first episode, it would be someone murders his sister in revenge for his past actions, and he takes down the person who murders his sister. It, trying to think what title would come out of that. In it's the, a story of revenge. Well, I would almost go with the equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. And actually, that's that's what I would call this. Mm. Re-colon action. Yeah. 
with the action being a little bit lower than the others, offset, you know, with a, uh, the first in red and the rest in white or vice versa, you know, something of that sort, maybe dripping blood a la, mm-hmm. you know, uh, James Bond or whatever. And as if the reaction is the director of whatever they were calling the group. Yeah. Report to the, the president's reaction, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Well, and their take on the government was, I almost want to say, blackmail driven. The political machinations that happen in the course of the 10 episodes with the uh, director of this group uh, who reports to the president and the way she interacts, particularly with the FBI guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was it the senator? The politician. Well, the one on the bench. The one on the bench was, I don't know, like some undersecretary or some advisor to somebody. Some political muckety-muck that, yeah. that did something they shouldn't have and yeah. would never do that again. Yeah. And, I mean, technically, there were two people on park benches. I mean, let's not discriminate. Park benches are not places to sit out in the open with this woman. That's all I'm saying. Yes, yes. So, I mean, you get some of the 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 politicking but almost in a that's just the way life is in politics in this world to me it was almost like going back to the pre-victorian i don't think that person should inherit the throne let's poison them era but i also think that's one of the things that fundamentally makes the taken tv show radically different than at least the first taken movie i haven't seen the other Mm. two but i'm assuming variations on a theme they're very non-political yeah. This is very political. Well, one of the things I remember quite vividly, and probably because it was in the trailers from the, the Taken movie, was that the daughter is calling him. Mm-hmm. And she realizes something's wrong. And him telling her, get under the bed. Be silent. Yes. The fact that he can be over a thousand miles away and know you're in danger. This is a wrong moment, and I'm going to talk you through it. Mm-hmm. And even as she is being dragged out from under the bed, he is telling her, I will get you back. There's a protector aspect mm-hmm. that, again, I thought they carried forward. Yeah. But the character in the movies, again, older, mm-hmm. significantly, you know, 20 years older at least, had that confidence, had that polish, mm-hmm. that. This version of the character doesn't yet. Okay, it's an earlier version. I'm fine with that. But there was an aspect also of the movie version that, sure, he could use a gun. He did not need one. The movie version walked into danger to save people, where the TV version drew fire, if that makes sense. There were a few times he did the heroic thing or whatever, but it was very much... It was... Like in the first episode, he's staying with his parents. He realizes he's a target. So he leaves them and goes back to his house to draw fire. Yeah, I was thinking on the train incident, but by and large, there's a lot of somebody needs to be the decoy and it's usually him. Mm -hmm. I guess the point I was trying to make is there was a lot more hand-to-hand combat. Oh, and I agree with that. But I just think that this, this mentality of I'll be the one to draw the fire as opposed to the I will do anything to rescue. There's a certain amount of leading away versus going into kind yeah. of di- dichotomy there. Yeah. I guess in my mind, if they had had the action choreography of, say, The Transporter, the TV show yes. even. Yes, yeah. Where there were just some fight scenes where it's like, that was impressive. I guess I just come out with a, a different feeling 
if that makes sense of when you came out of the movie taken you always came out i came out over that first one with this feeling of he'd have done anything to rescue that girl he'd have walked into any danger oh, absolutely whereas well not just walked into any danger he would have walked blatantly yes. into any danger no kicked the door yeah. open Walked straight in, no two ways about it, spotlight on him. Yeah. Not let's skulk around with guns. Yeah. And this one is very much a, I'll paint a target on my back and lead you away from the people you want to go after. And I'm not trying to suggest that the uh, skulking around with guns type stuff that we see in the TV show is is a bad idea if you're going to go, you know, as a uh, special forces team. I mean, go to come back alive. Yeah. But if you're doing it as a narrative vehicle for an action character- it just feels like he's constantly being the decoy and the, I guess I, I'm amazed he survived the season, given how many times he painted a target on his own back. Well, and particularly when he's taken the van off and gets captured and so forth. Yeah. He's a glutton for punishment. He is. He is. And, but to me, that's the key difference between the two versions of the character. I think the one in the TV show is a glutton for punishment because he failed his sister. Hmm. Never fail hey. your sister. You have failed this sister. No. Yes. <laughs> Quick aside, and I'm going to spoil an aspect of a Scooby-Doo team-up uh, issue. It was, uh, I think, issue 25. I just read it the other night, where the Scooby gang is teaming up with uh, Green Arrow and Green Lantern. Uh-huh. And it's a riff on the hard-traveling heroes era of Green Lantern, uh, Green Arrow. You know, when uh, 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 Speedy has the drug addiction and stuff, they, they take all that out. But uh, the riff they were doing was when they hit in the Scooby Gang is um, they, they it, you you get the Green Arrow doing the you have failed the city sort of a th- and Green Arrow just give or Green Lantern giving them a hard time. It's if you fail the city left right and sa- you know <laughs> and again just that yeah. kind of a, it was a fun mishmash of classic Scooby Gang seventies era uh, relevance Green Lantern Green Arrow mixed with the modern sensibility and riffing on the Arrow TV show uh, yeah. quite a bit. Anyways, I think because he had failed his sister, he he feels like he deserves to be punished. Yeah. He's he's kind of living on borrowed time. It's, you know, he feels uh, a survivor's remorse kind of a thing. Well, yes. Whereas in the movie, and it's it's flipped around, because of his bravado, because of his confidence, because of his certain sureness, yeah, he he wins. Yeah. At the very end of the season, do you think he believes he failed Asha? Yes. I think so too. I'm just, and I mean, because he doesn't know if she lives. Exactly. At one point, I made you show me how much was left in the episode, yes. and I asked you basically, "Are they going to show me this? Are they going to show me that?" Uh, that's another thing I want to talk about, though, because this is a ten-episode series that I realized before we watched the tenth. Oh, this is the end. <laughs> yeah. Pacing of, of seasons and length of seasons right now mm. varies quite a bit. Yes. I had thought I had watched what seemed like the season finale of Scorpion. Only to find out there were another three episodes, yeah. one of which I've since watched. And it's one of those things where the pacing of of mm-hmm. stuff, um, yeah. again, I we watched the end of uh, Legends of Tomorrow and realized, oh, wait, this is the end. It was the end. Yeah. Retroactively realized. Yeah. Whereas other shows like Arrow and Flash kind of lead up to that big fight with the big bad. And it's just, it's, it's I don't say telegraphed, but much more obvious where they're going. 
versus, say, Supergirl, where we're still not sure what the role of a couple of the characters are. Yeah. Well, in this case, I mean, typically... And part of the problem I'm having is I've started watching some uh, both some British and some Australian shows on PBS. Mm-hmm. And I mention that because they're not 42 minutes. So... Some of them are an hour long. Yeah, yeah. it changes the pacing of an episode. Mm-hmm. And they also tend to do like eight episode series in yeah. the UK. Yeah. Because uh, there was a period I was watching a lot more of that than I do currently. Because there's so much American sh- yeah. stuff to watch. Well, it, it messes with your expectations. So, you know, I went into this with, okay, it's going to be a 42 minute episode and that kind of thing. And we didn't start watching right on the hour, which would have helped me. Going back for a moment to yeah. that Scooby-Doo team up. Uh-oh. Typically, it's two digital installments that make up a full episode, a full issue, print issue, which is what I get. So you expect a a halfway kind of cliffhanger and move forward. Mm -hmm. So when they hit the halfway point and it's like they've wrapped up the adventure. (laughs) Yeah. That's a little soon. And then they kind of spin into the the second part of the adventure, if you will. It's, It's you expect one level of pacing. And when you get something different, even if it's better, it throws you. I was reading an ebook the other night, and for reasons unknown, when I got to exactly 50% of the book, the author had, at the end of the chapter, a, you have just reached the midway point of the book. Did you know the other books in this series are? And listed all the other books in the series, and you flip, and there's the next chapter. But if I had not looked at the bottom to confirm, I really am at 50%. I'd have thought I'd only received half the book. I forget which X-Men comic it was, but it was five, six, seven years ago at least, where it was like X-Men The Box or something of that sort. I forget the exact thing. One of the earlier 399 comics Mm -hmm. hit the middle point of the comic where you get the staple and stuff, Mm -hmm. flip the page, the end. I'm halfway through a regular sized comic. It was like a 16 page story. Uh And I'm like, again, it- yeah. You're watching an hour-long show, and at the 30-minute mark, you get the the butler did it scene, and you're like, well, what the hell are you going to do for the next 20 minutes, dude? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, frequently when I'm watching TV with our father, he will look at his watch, and I will tell him, no, you have 15 minutes left. That means- part of why I like watching stuff on uh, a tape delay, if you will, over a DVR and stuff, because if you're watching it live- You've got the the and you've got the the where the hands are on the the clock dial mm-hmm. to tell you okay yeah we're we're twenty minutes in we're gonna get a little resolution then we're gonna get the whodunit scene and then the little end cap thing mm-hmm. you know you you start it, to know when to expect certain story beats it can't be resolved at this point well I think you're, you're not at the resolution you're fifty minutes in it's two parter got it I think you recently watched an episode I watched. Uh, the big name guest star on the TV show had been a lead Rockman Dunbar on Prison Break. I'm familiar with the actor. I haven't seen him in anything recently, so I'm... He was the pilot on an airplane. Oh. Yes. And I sat there the entire episode of that TV I've show... I've only seen when they fly out. I haven't seen... Yes. I sat there the entire episode of the show going, come on, where is he? Where is he? I didn't catch him in the, uh, in the credits. I was... Yeah. Uh, Doing that while I was doing some other interesting. So the moment he finally came on screen, and I saw what his position was, and I'm like, "He's a pilot! Damn, the plane's gonna crash!" He's the most famous guest star. Again, hopefully we don't spoil this for people. Uh, that part of Scorpion. If, if <laughs> let me put it this way: if you're watching Scorpion, <laughs> if they're anywhere near a plane, 
it will not only crash, it will have engine troubles, it'll burst in flames. This, to me, is, is another thing about current TV writing. And I've noticed it particularly with Scorpion. That was the one where I thought I'd seen the end of the season. Well, okay. Every commercial break is preceded by the next level of craziness going wrong. That's your rule of writing for Scorpion. Well, no, I, the, the show ought to be called Murphy's Law. Everything goes wrong. Okay, because of your linguistic rules for the podcast, I cannot actually tell you Stephen J. Cannell's rules of writing. But it was basically before every commercial, make sure you end with the audience saying, oh, curse Bleed. word. Yeah. One of his other rules of writing that I thought was excellent was remember that every character existed before they walked on screen. Well, and to me, that's one of the things I like about certain shows and comics is there's a sense that things have happened to those characters between when we last saw them and when we see them again. Mm -hmm. Not like they've just ducked off into the wings, they're reading their lines to get back out there. Yeah. It feels like life, not a stage play. Mm -hmm. But, and it goes back to uh, Stephen Amell's good decisions make for bad television, bad decisions make for good television. Yeah. There are a few places in Taken where Brian makes maybe not some brilliant choices, but given the way they have established his character, mm. given what we have seen of his character, yeah. most of the time there's no other decision he would have made mm. or any other decision we would have had him make. Well, I would say that 80% of the show or more goes around trust issues. Trust issues within the team. Who can you trust in terms of other agencies, the good guys, the bad guys? I think there was a lot of that, but I think we've seen some other shows, MacGyver actually being one of them, where they Agreed. played up the trust issues even more. Well, yeah, but you get towards the end, and he realizes when he's asked, did anybody outside this room know a piece of information? And he's going, dang, I told Asha. So he goes and asks her, and her first reaction is... Was your first reaction to not trust me? Yeah. Well, to me, the sign that Taken was well-written and, and reasonably well thought out, although maybe not perfectly planned, was at the end, everybody's going around the room, well, this is what so-and-so would have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not what you're telling us to do. So-and-so would have done it this way. Yeah. And everyone's like, yep, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it very much tells us this group of people now feels a moral imperative to go do this. Yeah. You know, and I expect that would be if they get a second season where they, what the first mission is. Well, they've developed a bond with Brian. Yeah. If not a sense of loyalty. And I don't think it is a loyalty so much as a bond. It's but a little of both. They know that they could count on him. Exactly. But that's a bond. It's, okay. They followed him to get Asha mm -hmm. because they knew he needed them to have his back. And they knew that if they said, Brian, I need you to have my back, he wouldn't hesitate. He would have their back. Yeah, yeah. And that's a bond. Well, and it's also stuff that they had showed left, right, and center over the course of the, mm -hmm. the series. And he had risked his life for theirs countless times. Even at times when they didn't want him to. Yes. With the exception of when we saw John with the brother and stuff like that again after he'd been Mm -hmm. We never really saw enough of the other guys outside of the team or in a situation to know that they they are cut from the same cloth. Yeah. The one who was in Standoff, that uh, actor's character, which is the one um, Brian had saved from the mm -hmm. grenade over the, the video feed, 
those I thought they had connected early on pretty yeah. well. But yeah. they sold those relationships. They built that up. They earned that. Yeah. And that's something that so often in TV shows is just set up as part of the premise. Yeah. Even if you go to MacGyver, the relationship between MacGyver and Jack Dalton. Yeah. Set up from the gra- uh, ground zero. That's that's just how it is. Yeah. You know, MacGyver and... Uh, uh, the, Bozer? Uh, yeah, Bozer. Again, grew up together. Boom, that's part of the premise, yeah. you know? When I thought it was interesting when they had the uh, Mossad agent who was being forcibly retired. Mm-hmm. And Brian realized at the end of the episode when he found the sunglasses in his locker where he could go talk to her and stuff. And when she made the comment that the leader of their team had something she never had. And it's not a romantic bond, but it's a bond of someone who will have your back no matter what. That what was going protection. on with that, uh, the head of the agency there, though, was something that I felt they had really, really built up. Yeah. They set the scene for it. They let things play out, yada, yada. But then it just kind of vanished. Yeah. And I don't know if they were expecting a 13-episode thing, and that would have given them a little more time. I don't know if they needed that or if it just wasn't the game plan. And they're planting seeds for future seasons, which I, I hope is the case. Yeah. Because, I mean, not everything has to pay out on the same season, the same cadence or whatever. But she had Brian's back in the finale. Where oh, yes. Earlier in the season, I'm not convinced she would have. She certainly didn't in the pilot. Agreed. So in that respect, that bond was still being shown. It just wasn't there in the way you're talking. It's funny because I would have liked to have seen her have a line of dialogue that Maddie got in MacGyver of, I don't know how to use you. Yes. I don't know you well enough. Are you a wild card? Are you this? Are you that? Yeah. And I think if they had had that kind of a discussion, uh, Brian and her, they could have had a couple of lines of dialogue to kind of give us a quick thumbnail sketch of the other guys. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and I think a thumbnail sketch of what made each guy unique would have been nice. Because, like you said, they didn't come off as having unique skill sets in any way. They all came out as being equally expert. If we get a second season of Taken, and I don't know if we will or not, I want to have one episode for each member of the team, both field agent and support crew, where we really get an insight into why are they on the team mm-hmm. and what is unique about them yeah. on the team. We know Michael Irby's character, he has two kids. Or mm-hmm. At least he has kids or whatever. Yeah. He has kids and, you know, it's a, you'd be crazy to do his job. Oh, yeah, that's the other reason, sort of a thing. He's mm-hmm. got a little bit of a sense of humor, but let's get a little insight into him. Yeah. I think they've they've built the characters well, but there's still so much room to explore. I think they took the character from the movie, at least the first movie again, haven't seen the other two yet. I'm curious. Yeah. There's again so many things fighting for my time though. Rolled him back a, a significant number of years and kind of set him up, sort of. But well, to me it's in a, a a way that just it vectors differently. It goes in a different way. Yeah. That's how I felt. I mean, this is a large ensemble with nine characters. Yeah. Well, um, Brian, the four members of the team, the leader, the two girls, the uh, the male uh, support guy. Mm-hmm. And Asha. Asha. Mejia. True. Not in every episode, Not but in every frequently. episode, but motivating force of the story. Yeah. And I would argue a slot for the FBI agent or other equivalent. Yeah. 
So they're juggling at least a dozen people per episode. Mm-hmm. Yet it never feels busy. It never feels chaotic. It's never a wait. Who is this? Not early on, a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, well, we had to learn faces. I had to learn faces. They could have done a better job with a name because there's still one or two. It's like, I mean, there's the Michael Irby character. There's the one I refer to as Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. Yes. Uh, because that's the field he looks. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Just enough like him. Well, we heard their names like twice. Yeah. Three times. I mean, just enough to not fully register with me. I'd be fine if we didn't know their names, if they each had their uh, unique call sign. Yes. So it's... But I don't feel like they have withheld information or that not remembering their names is a hindrance. No. Because I know who they are. I can... Exactly. You know, we can talk about them all pretty well. They all feel distinct. They don't blur together. It's not like you've got too many characters there. Yeah. But again, I'm not sure if they get that second season. I hope they do. This was a surprisingly good show, even if oddly named. Yes. And I mean, as much as I was saying I expected solo hero, I got team ensemble. I'm much happier about that than I am in some of the other cases in terms of I kind of like having the field team versus the home base team and having those two cogs working together so well. It gives some interesting dynamics. It gives two teams working and coordinating and supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And I like the dynamic. One of the things I would like to see, and I know they'll never do it, would be a training uh, scenario uh, episode where the field agents are the support, the mm-hmm. support of the field agents. Mm-hmm. Get used to how the other half lives. Mm-hmm. NCIS has done some funny power failure episodes. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, some of the other shows we're watching, not only did they take what I thought was a solo hero concept and make it a team concept, but it's kind of... All the characters interact together, if not in one environment, in one cohesive group, if that makes sense. They don't have like numbers hat, where there's the FBI contingent, there's the university contingent, there's the family contingent. The the more standard. Think about it. You go all the way back to classic uh, sitcoms like the Dick Van Dyke show. Right, right. That's what I'm used to. But in something like Arrow, okay, you've got Team Arrow. Yeah, or Flash. You've got the whole thing, and there are. Right, but most of Team Arrow is also working at the mayor's office. Yeah. You see what They I'm may saying? have a second place they're at, but it's one cohesive unit. Right. Even if a subset hangs around a little more than others. Right. Versus... And I find it more interesting when the groups kind of divide, come back together. Well, and I thought they did a good job of that here. I really felt they did. Uh, particularly with near the, the end of that last episode where they're all sitting around having the drinks yes in the field agent area whereas at other times they've all met up to talk about stuff in the 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 support team area yeah yeah a better sense of the geography of where those two areas are related to one another would be nice yeah that's one of the things that i always enjoy is when they give a sense of the physical location Mm, yes and there's some shows that, that do it fairly well others not so much I would say one of the best examples is probably Sports Night when they opened with a completely empty set mm. and they're just doing this long shot. Here's the control room. Here's the studio. Here's the office. Here's the, you know. Yeah. And then everybody floods back in because it, well, it was a false alarm for the fire drill or whatever. Yeah. I think it's a fun show. I think it's worth watching. I think a lot of people may not have realized it was on the air. I agree. May not have necessarily put two and two together between the movie and the show. 
And well, if they did, they still may not have put two together, two and two together, because it's odd. Well, and I think some people didn't tune in because they were expecting something perfectly in line with the movie, and that's not what they wanted. I think if you liked the unit or that sort of a show, mm-hmm. you'll like this. I think if you liked Taken, check this out. You might like it, you might not, but I think it's it's close enough. It's just yeah, it, it hits the same sorts of notes if in a very different way. Yeah, I so. enjoyed it a great deal. I just yeah, it was not precisely taken. No, it went in a very different direction. Um, to even say it's the same premise, I think is is incorrect. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's filmed in Canada, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And it's got that, I must say, slightly not American, but that slightly different pacing and filming technique. So at times you're looking around, not quite art house, but... It does not feel like your standard uh, network primetime show. Yeah. In a good way. Yes, I agree. It feels a little bit more movie, cinematic. Yeah. But not big budget, oh, you know, explosions everywhere kind of a thing. Yeah. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, like I said, I hope they get a second season. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens. I think the other thing that did well with this was when they decided to turn it into an ensemble, they filled the ensemble with some really talented people. Yeah. I don't Jennifer think Beals had, does a good job. She did a good job. Michael Irby did a good job. You know, uh, pretty much everybody on there, I thought, really sold the role they were in. Yeah. In some cases made the role more than what the role was on paper. I agree. So, again, totally worth checking out. A lot of fun. Mm-hmm. If it comes back for a uh, second season, we'll watch it and do an episode on that. Sounds good. So anything else? Are we good? I think you're good. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what we discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.